0: The Butt First Stretch podcast taps into the extraordinary endeavors that ordinary humans are doing daily to better their lives and their community. The goal of these conversations is to lengthen and extend our perspective on fitness, nutrition, holistic health, the mind-body connection, and what motivates us. The final portion of each episode will provide a guided meditation to self-reflect on the theme of the interview. Brought to you by Jennifer McCracken of FitFam Conchi. Hi, I'm Jen McCracken of FitFam Conchie. Welcome back to But First Stretch. And if it's your first time listening, I'm so glad that you're joining me. In this episode, I mentioned something that really upset me. We were visiting a local creek hiking area after the 4th of July, and the whole way on our back trail was trash everywhere. Shoes, chairs, grills, cans and takeout of every kind. We had brought stuff for the kids to go in the creek, But when we got to our destination, a place called Devil's Pool, there was piles of trash everywhere. Our dog was so distracted trying to eat all the chicken bones. I didn't feel comfortable letting the kids go in the water because of the trash. Bottle caps could hurt their feet, there was bags everywhere. I felt really bad and I wanted to do more so that my kids could enjoy some of the areas my husband and I like to go. Truth be told, I felt exhausted. I was hoping to go into nature to relax from the current social issues. Yes, COVID-19, the racial injustice in our nation, the poverty that exists, etc. And as a history teacher, I've always felt really connected to doing my part as a citizen. But the burnout was real after seeing the environmental mess we are also dealing with. And today I have a special guest joining me to discuss sustainable living. I know on previous episodes I've mentioned how I've cloth diaper my babies most of the time. I try to lessen the landfills through composting and creating my own garden, and I'm so excited for today's conversation on But First Stretch. Jess Purcell, former chemistry teacher and founder of Thoughtfully Sustainable, is going to be joining me to discuss some of the things that she does. She is a freelance science education consultant. I love following Jess on Instagram. You can check out the science experiments she does with her kids and great ideas on how to manage food waste. Currently, I'm growing romaine lettuce and green onions in our garden from my own food scraps because of her insight. Jess has some great curriculum available for elementary and middle schoolers, as well as a page on food justice, which is very fascinating um, when we dive into that on this episode. She also has created a YouTube channel, which I highly suggest checking out. I'm so excited to dive in and discuss how we can make an impact on the Earth and our planet. So if you like this podcast, please follow, like on iTunes, Spotify, however you listen, and share with any friends who you think would like this episode. Everything that we talk about will be in the show notes, so please check below if you would like to link up. But you can follow Jess at... At Thoughtfully Sustainable on Instagram. So let's stretch our mind, body, and soul. The first portion of the podcast is the warm up, introducing our guest. Hi, Jess. Welcome. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your background, and how did you get into sustainable living and education? Well, I was born and raised in a small
1: town in South Central Pennsylvania parents that really prioritized being outside we didn't have cable tv we didn't have gaming systems of any kind but what we lacked in mtv and nintendo we definitely made up for with tree forts and bonfires uh, sustainable living was really how i was raised although i don't think anyone called it that then i think instead it probably would have been referred to as being thrifty if something broke my dad fixed it and if it couldn't be fixed He'd go to his workshop and try and build a replacement. My mom stayed home um, and made just about everything from scratch, from chicken pot pie for dinner to the curtains that hung the windows. So because of their encouragement to spend as much time outside as possible, I really fell in love with nature at a young age. And I can truly say I was actually, I think, born an environmentalist. I studied biology and marine science, at Bloomsburg University. And to some of your listeners who I know are very fitness-focused, I also ran track. I was an avid short-distance runner for a short period of time. Then I became very slow, but I started out on a good foot. Um, And after graduating, um, I worked at a biochem lab at Penn State School of Medicine uh, in Hershey. The work was interesting, but quite isolating, Definitely a people person. So when my then boyfriend, who is now my husband of 14 years, decided Mm -hmm. to move to Louisiana to get his PhD, I decided to go with him. Um, Once we relocated to Louisiana, I started substitute teaching in the local schools. Growing up, I had some experience teaching kids in informal settings like ski instructor and as a camp counselor. Um, But at the time, many Louisiana school districts were in desperate need of math and science teachers. So they actually had created a program to hire non-educators with bachelor's degrees in science or math to teach, and then paid us for classes necessary to actually obtain your teaching license, as long as the certification was completed in a certain amount of time. So when I learned this, I jumped into the classroom with both feet, with absolutely no experience formally as a student teacher whatsoever, and I fell in love with being in the classroom. I taught for 10 years in classrooms in Louisiana and then North Dakota and North Carolina. Uh, We were moving all over the place. And then um, just, well, somewhat recently, five years ago, transitioned into a stay-at-home mom um, and freelance education consultant um, with our most recent move, moved back to Pennsylvania and the birth of our second child.
0: Oh welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what role does your family have in the work that you do? Well I have two kids and
1: right now they are eight and four. And one of my top priorities has been to teach them how interconnected they are to the rest of the natural world. Um, and my true teacher self, I started creating short activities and projects that we could do together to help foster their love and appreciation of nature. Um, Because I wanted them to understand why uh, we were choosing to live a lifestyle that prioritizes the health of our planet and all that reside on it. Um, And so their excitement for these lessons and their genuine interest in wanting to throw stuff in the compost and dig up earthworms and help me hang laundry um, really inspired me to share what I was doing on social media. And so that's where I started my series on Instagram called Thoughtfully Sustainable um, that actually simplifies some science behind sustainability. So my hope that my kids and others could answer questions like, why do we compost or why do we hang our laundry and why do we avoid single-use plastic? And that's really been the crux of pushing me in this direction.
0: Ah. Yeah. So what has been the most rewarding part of your job?
1: Well, since I've taken on this uh, at-home role with my kids, I tell you, like, one of the most rewarding things is when I asked my daughter the other day, just to kind of test if she was actually picking up what we were doing, I asked her, you know, why do we compost? And she's like, well, Mom, because we have to put the vitamins in the soil, and we don't want to waste our food. And that was, like, one of those huge aha moments as a mom, like, wow, okay, what we're doing is setting an example, and she is getting it, and I didn't prompt her. Um, Another thing that's been really rewarding is sharing these science lessons that we do just out there on social media and seeing so many people send me their pictures of their kids regrowing their food from scrap or playing around with the composting packaging peanuts that they got. Um, or their kids like proudly holding up earthworms and being able to point out the different parts that to me is really the most rewarding seeing other families being able to foster that same love of nature that I grew up with and that I oh, hope my kids are growing up with
0: I love that and I feel that social media can connect people like I reached out to you I said how do I do this with the lettuce and that's how kind of our connection came about too absolutely but- yeah that's so cool and I think I think kids have like an intrinsic interest in the world like they especially at that young age like science to them is fascinating they want to learn like why why is this happening so that's so neat
1: yeah and and it's fun to be able to provide people with those answers to why because we all know that why is like the second most used word (laughs) with kids behind no of course (laughs) no and why and so (laughs) Being able to like show them or explain at a level that they can understand that's not overwhelming,
0: it's, it's fun and it's fun to see where they take it. Mm-hmm. And what's the most challenging part of what you do? Well,
1: honestly, the most challenging part is it does take more time. And I'm in a position of privilege where I can be at home taking the time. But so many people don't have the extra time it takes to hang the washout on the line or save the food scraps and put them in the compost. One or two things maybe, but you know when you look at it holistically, it does take more time out of your day. But then on the flip side, because we are living in the present of COVID nineteen, some might argue we have maybe more time as our schedules have been freed up a bit. And so, it may be a great entrance point for those that have been considering maybe making small changes to live a little bit more sustainably, to actually see how they can do them at home and, you know, find that balance for their own family. I I love, I absolutely love Miranda Lambert, as a side note, (laughs) and she wrote this song called Automatic, and I love the line that she has, um... And one of her courses, she says, because when everything's handed to you, it's only worth as much as the time you put in. And that, to me, resonates. Like, if it's worth the time, then it'll be worth the effort, you know? Um, and that adds some intrinsic value to things to show that we are no longer wanting to participate in this throwaway culture that has kind of been created for us,
0: whether we like it or not. So, I love that song. Such a good song. <laughs> good, yeah, she's, she's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we're going to dive into the workout portion. My question is what are some basic suggestions you have for people who want to live more sustainably? I would
1: say the best way to start is to really start small. Pick one area that your family um, can buy into. It's obviously easier if it's not just you doing the work. Um, and so maybe it's reducing your food waste, or reducing the single-use plastic that is your home, or shopping secondhand, either online or at consignment shops if they're open where you live, um, or maybe even committing to support local farmers when you can. Picking one place to start, I think, makes it much less intimidating. So that just like the whole push for decluttering your house, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you try to do it all at once, you'll get frustrated easily. Um, I can also suggest uh, there's a woman, her name's Polly Barks, and she just wrote a really great book called More Than a Plastic Bag. Mm -hmm. It's an excellent resource for anyone starting their sustainability journey or someone that's already, you know, halfway in or, or deeply entrenched in it. She gives you really good actionable ways to be able to, um, start in different areas of your life. And that's been helpful too.
0: Yeah. What do you think is the most overwhelming factor people deal with when they try to live more sustainably?
1: Honestly, I think the learning part is, is the most intimidating because as you start down this journey, as you start looking into ways to reduce your plastic intake or, um, ways to reduce your food consumption. A little learning can be a dangerous thing because you truly start to take notice of the amount of plastic that is your home or the amount of food you waste or even the carbon footprint that's associated with the organic produce that you are intentionally trying to buy to be healthier, but then you notice it comes from Australia and you think, oh my goodness, Like, is there just a right or wrong answer? Um, And then even more recently, Watching the news and feeling how environmental justice and social justice are so interconnected um, You kind of find yourself feeling quite helpless. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think again, it's important to start small And to also know that I mean just like you and I have connected There's a huge community of people that are also navigating this lifestyle that are more than happy to help whether it's just talking through where do you buy produce that isn't wrapped in plastic? Or do you know of an online service that can deliver my groceries package free? I mean that for me, the back and forth between the communities that I've found online um, have been incredibly helpful and makes you feel that this idea of a circular economy of, of being able to be able to avoid so much of the consumerism that we're inundated with truly is possible.
0: Yeah, I love that because I feel it's frustrating when you go to the store and your vegetables are wrapped in plastic. You're like, "This isn't needed." Yes, <laughs> not needed. Yeah, yeah. it
1: truly really is, and and it can be it can be a way for people to just say, "Forget it. I just I can't avoid this, and so I'm not going to try." And no, that keep trying because there are ways to get around it.
0: Yeah, that's so good to hear. Um, Why is it important we teach our kids about the environment? Since you do so much stuff with your kids, why do we need to teach them? Well, I think it's really important for them to understand that they're just
1: one of many of the millions of examples of living species on this planet. Um, And for them to see that our interconnectedness with the natural world and the delicate balance that exists between all living species really is an important part to be able to understand to support a livable planet. Um, Providing them with ample opportunities to fall in love with nature is critical because there's a famous quote that says, if you want to protect something, you have to love it first. And so, especially with young children, um, but, I mean, it can be fostered at any time. That fostering of a na- a love of nature is really helpful for them to then learn to be able to appreciate nature and then be able to appreciate the environment and, and what we can do to make sure that this planet is still livable for when they're our age. Um, and one of my favorite books is called How to Raise a Wild Child by Scott D Sampson and in it he does a ton of research and some of the things that struck me is he said that and I quote this that compared to kids confined indoors children who regularly play in nature show heightened motor control including balance coordination and agility also I quote him when he says individuals who spend abundant time playing outdoors as children are more likely to grow up with a strong attachment to place have an environmental ethic, and also um, nurturing creative play can help foster their language, their problem-solving skills. So just by simply getting kids more connected to their surroundings and allowing them to explore, you really can work on some of those basic fundamental skills that they'll need for lifelong learning.
0: Yeah. And what are some of your favorite activities to do with your kids? I love seeing all the experiments um, and the reusing of items that you have on your Instagram feed. Oh my goodness, we do we do so much. Um, Some of my favorites I
1: see. I love taking them on nature walks. Um, We started doing this thing where we choose we've chosen a sit spot, which really is like a spot out in the woods that they we just go and we sit, and they know they have to be quiet. Now, for my four-year-old, quiet lasts for about three minutes. But they just have to sit and listen and, and watch. And I usually have them take, like, paper and pencil so they can draw. And, and it's amazing the things that they notice that we wouldn't have noticed before when they go tearing through the woods, you know, as we go hiking. Um, I, I love doing that. I also really have enjoyed having them grow food from seed. Um, Because it provides so many opportunities for discussion. From like the simple, a life cycle of a plant, to why we compost, to why we take the water from our very drippy faucet, and we save it in a bucket, and we take it outside so we can water the plants. Um, It it even has prompted um, conversations about pollination and why we have all the clovers in our yard so they can pollinate our flowers. Like Growing food really... And we don't have big gardens. They're simple little raised beds. It's really provided them with so many opportunities to explore all kinds of different topics. Um, Another thing I love to do is I have a big bucket of, I mean, it's trash, really. You know, plastic bottle caps and pieces of cardboard and the stuff that would would go in trash because you can't recycle it. Um, We keep a box of that, and I'll just put it on the table occasionally and say, make me a something make me an animal or make me a building and it's fun to watch them be so creative with materials that would normally be put in the trash um again trying to give them that idea that you know we don't throw away I mean we do throw away everybody does but if we can lessen the amount that we throw away and use it again um it can be quite beneficial and fun yeah
0: and I know there's um, right now a hashtag Plastic Free July, and I saw this and I said, oh, this is a great idea. And then I came home with my groceries and I said, hmm, I'm not, this is, I, how am I going to be successful at this? So what are some things you're going to do to limit your plastic consumption What are that are successful? Sure. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and again, right now, especially in the times in the
1: middle of a pandemic, some of these may not be available for everyone. Um, I know I've been lucky enough, our local grocer has still allowed us to do some of the things that I would normally do. Um, but, and I, I, say grocer because it really does seem that the majority of the plastic and specifically the single use plastic mm-hmm. comes from the grocery store and through food. And so my first thing would be to bring your own produce bags, um, Like, for me, like I said, our local grocer has allowed us to sober in our bags, even during a pandemic, as long as I'm the only one that handles them, which has been really awesome. Um, Also, if you can buy in bulk, if you have to buy things, you know, um, in plastic, which we all do, you know, um, just get the biggest size possible. And if that's not available, there are even some online bulk shopping options um, that I know some friends of mine have had some success with. Um, If you shop the exterior of the store and try to make a few things that you would normally purchase, maybe from scratch, again, if you have the time, you know, maybe instead of picking up those packaged cookies, just say to yourself, okay, I'm making packaged cookies or making cookies this week. Um, I also find for me, again, and we're very fortunate, we have a farmer's market within walking distance of our house. Um, they are also excellent options to be able to get food without having all the plastic um, consumption that comes with it and that's just groceries you know you can look into um, different ways that you limit plastic in your bathrooms like for me I have very thick very thick hair mm-hmm. and so I started using shampoo bars and I was kind of actually a little reluctant because I thought there's no way that this main it's going to get clean by this little bitty bar and surprisingly it actually does a very good job um, and there's lots of different brands you know I wouldn't promote any one, but um, there's a lot of different simple swaps that you can make to just start lessening that plastic that comes into your house.
0: Yeah, and I realize that we are talking about plastic waste, which is the issue that gets the most attention, but there's a lot more to the problem surrounding plastics. Can you explain? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. This is an excellent question. Um,
1: so, we do. We focus a lot on where the plastic ends up. but the conversation needs to also focus on where the plastic starts. And unfortunately, plastic production and plastics themselves are about 99% fossil fuels. Um, when crude oil is extracted, um, it goes through what's called a distillation process, which is a simple um, separation of the crude oil into different parts. And the one of the first parts that separated from crude oil is um, a chemical, not chemical compound, um, a a size of carbon atoms, I should say. It's called naphtha. And that naphtha, which is really molecules that are carbons between like 5 and 10 um, in size, which is teeny tiny, I know, um, that naphtha is actually what gets sent. And creating um, into creating plastic and plastic resins Um, and so when you think about where that plastic is first being extracted from from the crude oil and then being um, created into all the products that we use the amount of air pollution and water pollution and known human Carcinogens that enter the air and waterways from where plastic is produced is truly horrifying. Um, I mean, many of us have heard about And I lived in Louisiana, so it was common knowledge that there was this area of Texas and Louisiana known as Cancer Alley. And it's where all of those big oil companies are located. And unfortunately, all of the fence line communities, people that are living in and around these crude oil extraction and processing plants have an enormously high rate of cancers and other diseases that aren't seen in places similar to them but outside of a non-petroleum based production. And so when we start factoring in all of the problems that happen on the front end of plastic and then all of the problems that happen on the back end of plastic, especially those single-use plastics. Um, obviously, there's wonderful things about plastics, too, especially the medical industry. Um, we really have to reconsider why we are supporting the use of these in our daily lives. Yeah.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's... Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, even,
1: like, as close as... Um, I don't know if a lot of your listeners are in the Pennsylvania area. Um, Pottstown, Pennsylvania, is has a or used to have a PVC processing plant, PVC that polyvinyl chloride, which is a plastic, we know PVC, we think about PVC and piping. Well, it's the production and the waste products that come from PVC are a huge human carcinogen. Um, And unfortunately the companies that were using that site um, also use that ground as a dumping ground for waste in other areas of the country. And it's now one of the number one Environmental Protection Agency Superfund sites basically that just tells you that the ground is so toxic They've had to soak so much money in an attempt to clean it up. I mean, and that's right here in Pennsylvania So the idea that this all exists somewhere where we don't see It's not true Um, and trying to mitigate the the health problems that can be created and caused by living near areas like this really are just it really makes you reconsider how we, as consumers, and as as citizens of this country, can make sure that not only are we changing what we do in terms of purchases, but how we um, make sure that we are voting, you know, in line with our values to make sure that things like this are not allowed to happen.
0: Absolutely. Um... So, you have been doing a lot of exploring food justice. Could you explain a little bit more about what this is? Sure. Um, So, basically, the idea of food
1: justice looks at how accessible fresh foods are for different communities um, and really is linking privilege and poverty with the consumption of food. Um, And I'll use me as an example. Um, I live in a suburban neighborhood outside of Harrisburg. um, And my home lives, uh, I live within half a mile from a farmer's market. So I can walk there. They're open Mm -hmm. year-round. But if for some reason they weren't, I also have the privilege of a car. So I can get in my car and drive to a grocery store that has a wide variety of fresh produce. It may not be as local as my farmer's market. but it's still fresh. Um, but then let's say my house isn't located where it is. I don't live in uh, a suburban neighborhood. I live in an urban neighborhood. And I don't have a car. So I have to rely on public transportation to get to the grocery store. Well, obviously, that is a different time constraint. Having a car, you can get in and go when you need to. Um, having to rely on public transportation means uh, you have to schedule things a little bit. Um, in advance. And when you do get to the grocery store, you may be able to purchase that fresh produce. It's not going to be as local as maybe a neighborhood market and it's probably also going to be covered in plastic. Um, And what if I don't even have the time or resources to utilize public transportation to get to a grocery store? Well, then I must rely on wherever I can walk to to get uh, my food. So whatever the quarter market has or gas stations stock stocks that's what I'm you know relying on to feed my family and what are the odds that my corner gas station or corner market will have fresh organic apples or they'll have snap peas Um, and so really it comes down to fresh local produce is much harder to access if you're not in a position of privilege and a lack of fresh locally grown food is much more prevalent in BIPOC communities And which is why it's extremely important to support urban community garden programs and farmers markets in an effort to lessen this gap that exists between urban communities and fresh food, because the health benefits and the ecological benefits are incredibly important.
0: Absolutely. And I, it, it does, there's like so much I could say about this issue because it's so, it's so important what people have access to where people live, like sometimes I walk outside and I see my garden and I'm like, this is what people used to survive on, you know, years ago. Like if you didn't have a garden or if someone in the community didn't have a garden, the community wouldn't survive because they needed that food. It was way before a time of the industrial revolution that allowed for us to have this. Um, I also, sometimes I think about like the water issue, um, in communities that don't have water and how it's just so easy for me to get fresh clean water from my faucet where that's not the case around the world even right exactly not even yeah not even the case in you know indigenous communities
1: in the united states i mean Mm -hmm. we saw so many reports coming through with um in light of covid19 and a simple we think of okay we've just got to wash our hands more Mm -hmm. to be preventive well if you don't have fresh running water that's that's not even a possibility yeah I think these topics are things that must be discussed and must be discussed more often because I think as more people are aware of the discrepancies within our own country, um, I think I am I, a firm believer in good and I think that if, if more people are aware then possibly we can start making small changes so that this will not be the norm.
0: Yeah. I- not the norm I lo- that's a really good way to look at this because it's um it is a problem and I love seeing how you are bringing a lot of it to light and we can all be doing a little bit more in our community to help out on that you know
1: yeah oh most definitely there's so many programs now too that you know are are trying to help communities that don't have access to you know whether it be fresh food or food at all I know my daughter and I um, volunteer for a local group that packs backpacks for kids um, and most of the children they serve are in um, uh, urban strike but there are many children that they serve that are throughout the rural and suburban communities as well um, and I think being active is not only you feel like you're doing something and you're spending your time in a worthwhile way but it's also a great way to show my daughter that just another reason why we don't waste food because it's a privilege to be able to say no to your green beans at dinner you know some kids can't say no because they don't have those green beans and so I think just adding another layer onto it making sure that not only as adults we understand this idea of food injustice but that kids do too I think it'll give them a better appreciation
0: for what they have I love that and I think that is something that I would love for my kids to also know like we're putting this good food in front of you some, some kids don't have that opportunity right right yeah. exactly Yeah. Uh, what are your favorite plants to grow in your garden <laughs> I love there's I love a lot of stuff but I really love to
1: grow sugar snap peas and I love to grow basil mm-hmm. <laughs> I eat the peas like right off the of vine and the basil I love to make pesto if I could have pasta and pesto everyday I'd be a happy woman Um, For my kids, although they don't eat them, I love growing carrots for them. We get an heirloom carrot variety, so they come in all different colors. They're like purple and orange and yellow, and they have so much fun just like trying to guess what color carrot they pull up. Um, We also, because of our composting efforts, um, we have an accidental pumpkin patch growing in our side compost pile. Uh, And I've been told that that pumpkins that grow from compost are much more resilient. I hope that's true, because in the heat wave that they're going through right now, (laughs) it's a struggle to keep them going because they require, boards in general, require so much water. Um, But those have been fun, it's fun because I've never had success with pumpkins, they always dry out on me, so I'm hoping those go well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is, oh my gosh, that's so fun, and now how long have you been composting? since we moved here, so I'd say four years now. Yeah. Um, What advice do you have for people that want to try composting and are terrified of it? First of all, don't be terrified because it's
1: really like if you treat it as a fun science experiment, you can't go wrong because I thought I knew what I was doing and the first year, I totally didn't. Um, And I just played with it and found a balance that works for me so composting is basically getting the right amount of greens and browns so greens you know are your fresh fruits and your veggies and your browns are things like your dried leaves and your cardboard um and when i first started i got just a a cheap bucket from home depot we drilled a whole bunch of holes in it um because our house backs up on a forest, we have a lot of animals. So I kind of wanted to contain everything in a bucket, as I didn't really want to be feeding the wildlife <laughs> with our banana peels. I didn't think I would not Maybe I wouldn't even have minded. My kids would have enjoyed it, but I don't think our neighbors would have been too happy with raccoons. So we started this bucket system, and at first I just got this like putrid sludge because it was so it smelled. And it was so gross, and I realized, oh okay, I need to put in more cardboard and then it was like voila it was magic um and it it's amazing how quickly our trash um, reduced just from making sure we had a place for all of the vegetables and the fruit scraps and even like the egg cartons and the cardboard um coffee grounds it it is truly amazing it really decreases the amount of trash that you throw out
0: i know i feel like anytime my like Compost gets weird. I throw leaves into it. I'm like here, yep. it'll it'll get better.
1: <laughs> that's it, and that's it. That's the trick too, because that carbon. So when you talk about browns, there there's more carbon than there is nitrogen to get all chemistry on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it gets stinky, if your your pile just has too much fresh nitrogen, mm-hmm. and it really needs more carbon. So by taking that, taking those browns and throwing them in, it kind of absorbs and rebalances out the chemistry that's going on in there.
0: Yeah. So when my husband like cuts down some of like our trees and our bushes out front, just like gives them a trim, I'm like, throw them in the compost. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. We need, that's we need the best way to do it. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you're working on that we should know about that you want to share with us? Oh, sure. Um,
1: well, with the uncertainty of what school is going to look like in the fall, um, I've recently created a digital newsletter to supplement that Sustainability Science Sunday series on Instagram that you had mentioned earlier. Um, My hope is to create a resource for parents and teachers in an effort to help them navigate how to teach their kids about the science behind the topics we've been talking about, these sustainability topics. This newsletter contains free downloadable science lessons that I've written, that can be done at home without any fancy supplies. Um, It also has links to videos that I've created. Uh, Those videos are in English and Spanish. Uh, A friend of mine kindly translates them into Spanish, which is really awesome, making that science even more accessible. Um, It also contains links to simple upcycling projects and um, more links to educational resources. So I'm hoping that the newsletter can help. It's obviously not going to replace your child's science education, from whatever they're getting in school, whether it be virtually or in person, but to help supplement and maybe focus more on that interconnectedness of environmental sciences and social sciences.
0: I love that and I think it'd even be like an add-on. So even to go deeper, to dig deeper in what they're learning about in school or just like what you have outside. I love how it's easy, it's not like intense things that you need to like buy and get. I, that's awesome. All right. Yeah, that's my hope. That's my hope. I really think,
1: you know, as a teacher, the lessons that I found my students um, responded best to were the ones that applied the knowledge that I was giving them. Like I said, I was a chemistry teacher for a while, but I also taught middle school. Um, I taught forensic science, marine biology. I've done a bunch, but the main thing I did was chemistry. And you know, you can draw so many, you know, structures, and yeah, that looks great. But if you can't apply it. it doesn't really, it doesn't really hit home, and nor will it stick with you. So I think this application piece, hopefully, will be helpful to maybe have parents have their kids retain that true curriculum
0: that they need. Yeah. Thank you so much. We should all definitely check that out. <laughs> no, you're welcome. I hope so. Um. So I have three wrap-up questions that I ask everybody. Uh, What are stretches you are doing in your own life, and it could be anything? Well, one of the things, and you'll appreciate this, I think, um, is
1: since we've been quarantined, um, my kids and I have been honestly, truly stretching more. Um, I got them interested in um, yoga by doing a series there on YouTube, that Cosmic Yoga series, Mm -hmm. and my kids had a blast with it. I am, I hate to say an ex runner, but unfortunately my hips are just not happy with me from the decades of running that I've done. And so yoga has really been helpful for me to still, um, being able to do a lot of the activity that I love. Um, so, but, but it is a stretch because it is very hard for me. I am the least flexible person I think on the planet. So I am trying, I am trying. Um, and so I've also been doing a lot of – I kind of supplement that with a lot of walking and um, a lot of weightlifting, and that's been a lot of fun, learning that and learning um, a new way to stay healthy for my body. Because for me, the solution was run. Mm-hmm. And my hips now are saying, a no, Jess, you need to find something different. So
0: <laughs> That's awesome. I love that you're doing yoga with the kids. That's so great for them, too.
1: Yeah, they love it. They're definitely more flexible than I am. They could totally, they totally kick the tree pose way better than I ever could. But (laughs) it's fun for us to have something to do together that's, you know, another physical activity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, What is something you are enjoying doing in your life for you? Um, For me, really, uh, I, as a stay-at-home
1: mom, it is probably the... Most enjoying thing is just being able to get outside and do have some exercise. It's my, by myself, let me, raise by myself. It has been my form of therapy to kind of just recenter and um, make sure that I'm prioritizing my own health. And it truly is probably my favorite activity to do.
0: Yeah. And what is something you can't stop talking about? Oh my gosh, I'm glad you asked, Jen. I have recently watched
1: two awesome documentaries. Um, The first is called The Story of Plastic. And the second is called Mossville, When Great Trees Fall. Um, Both of these documentaries investigate the fossil fuel industry's role in producing the massive amount of plastic that has infiltrated our economy as well as the health decline of those that live near these plants, which I know we touched on earlier, Um, both of these documentaries I have learned so much from and has really brought to light a lot of the issues that I think everyone would be interested in learning. Um, I know Mossville, you can stream through your PBS station, and um, the story of plastic you can either watch on, run right on Amazon, or I think it's available on Apple TV, too. Um, and if you happen to be on Instagram, there have been a lot of accounts that have been um, hosting virtual screenings of these, um, and it's definitely eye-opening. And it's, I've, I just, I love them. I've been sharing them with everyone. I think it's really important to watch, especially in light of, you know, where we are right now.
0: Yeah, and uh, these resources are all so important, and I'm going to share it with something that I was going to do my intro, but I think I'm going to do now. We were uh, we were walking on July 5th, I think it was a month, maybe the 6th, it was a Monday, in a local park, and it's beautiful, it's shaded, there's hiking trails you can run, there's all, there like horses are there, like no cars are allowed, so it's like beautiful, there's a like, I don't know. Historic towns nearby and we were going on a hike with our kids and and our dog and there was trash everywhere. I think with COVID, a lot of people instead of like going on vacation took the weekend of the 4th to like party in like the water hole that was there. Like any kind of trash imaginable was like littered across our whole entire hike. Oh my gosh. Like shoes, chairs, um, any kind of can or bottle, whether it was alcoholic or non-alcoholic, everywhere. And we I wanted to bring the kids to like go into the water and we get to the spot and it's just like trash everywhere. Like our dog was eating chicken wings, like we couldn't even like unleash him at that oh my spot. Gosh. It was so it was so sad, Jess. I I had just, like, this epiphany, like, something had to be done, and I didn't even know what to do. Like, I couldn't bring my own bag. I didn't know how to get all the bags out, if we even brought something, and I think it's just so important for us to know that this is, like, any small thing. Like, we've talked about a bunch of different topics, and, like, my son was like, I want to get in the water, and I was like, we're not getting in this in this water right now. We're we'll We'll come back later. We'll come back... We'll go to a different spot, perhaps, but it really, like, broke my heart, and it broke my heart that, like, we were looking forward to this moment as a family, and it was, it was tough. I was like, let's, we'll just go back hiking, and no big deal, but we did go back to a different spot later, and it was nice, but it broke, it was just sad, like, the kids couldn't enjoy it, they couldn't, like, dip their feet in the water, because there's just trash everywhere, and I knew, like, something has to, like, we had to do something about this.
1: Yeah, that's heartbreaking. It is. We we got, my kids have those, like, grabbers, you know, mm-hmm. those plastic grabbers you can get at Target. They're, like, three or four bucks. And initially, they used them to, like, try and pinch each other's bottoms as they run through the house. But <laughs> they'll bring them if we go walking to actually do the same thing, just to have them so that we'll pick up trash with them. And then if we... If and when we go out as a family, or even when I go by myself, I usually take a bag with me, because there is, we live on country roads, and I think because it's no one, well, obviously someone owns it, but there is no house right there, people just think, oh, it's no big deal, I can just throw my cigarettes, I can just throw my bottles, I can just throw my alcohol, I can throw whatever, a a chair, you know,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and because it seems like it's like a common common ground, no one the caring isn't there and it's so disgusting because you want to go out and enjoy nature and be out in, out in the woods and you're sitting around with cigarettes and you know, beer bottles and you're like, wait a second, this is not what I wanted, so we've started using, we'll start taking those grabbers when we go on walks um, and start picking up trash and sometimes we'll make a game of it like, who can get the most in a bag in five minutes or something um, just to I don't know. Make a small dent in it.
0: That's and that I. It wasn't even all. that It was like the there were bottle caps like in the water, and I didn't want them to like hurt themselves. Like yeah. my daughter was one, so it was. I like that idea. I used to run with a group, the Wissahickon Wanderers, in that area, and they used to have competitions like that. Like whoever gets the most trash on their run gets like a prize or something. Because I guess individual citizens can make a difference, right? Right. Right, yeah, those individual actions do
1: add up when there are a lot of individuals doing them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But it is disheartening because then you, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and heartbreaking for, you know, for your kids and worrying about their health and safety when you're trying to do something for their health by getting them outside.
0: Exactly, yeah. So I think, like, if we get the chance to, like, watch a little bit of those documentaries or read a little bit and just educate ourselves on what we can do... Those are small things that can go a long way in in our lifetime, in their lifetime, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on this episode. I appreciate it so much, and I'm sure that somebody out there took away something great from this conversation. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. You've got a great podcast. I've enjoyed listening to it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jess of at Thoughtfully Sustainable. You can tell that she is a great teacher, a great educator, and I would definitely check out some of her activities that she has for young kids on getting them interested in the environment and, you know, what fuels us. So I connected with Jess through someone else who's been on this show. It was Colleen Felicki who does um, composting in my area and they did some kind of collaboration together and I came across Jess's page and to be honest it was just so nice to have something to inspire me to continue doing my work. I really do care about the environment and doing the best that I can in this world. So my Hope for you is first of all, I put everything that she mentioned in the show notes below so that you can check on it, see if it works for you or not. But I want to share some meditation that I've been doing recently on this. This is called a mantra meditation, and mantras are great, they can help you change your mindset, give you something to hold on to. You use different mantras for different situations, it can be calming. It can give you confidence, but I like it because it helps focus your meditation. So if you're unsure how to meditate, you can come back to this mantra and just say it in your head um, over and over again, which is why I think this is a really great meditation for anyone, no matter what you're going through. So for example, if you are worried about something, like a job interview that you have coming up, you can just say, I've got this. Or My background is perfect for this job, right? It's something that will help you when you get anxious, when you get nervous about something. And that's why it's important to tap into what's on your own mind. There's no right or wrong way to do this. I'm going to share the one that's empowering to me because I do feel that ever since I was young, I've always wanted to make a difference. I've always wanted to give back and that's why I became a teacher. So this quote that I'm using is from Nelson Mandela and it's something I've believed in since I was a little girl. And this, is gonna, this has been my mantra to help me when I get a little down about all the different things that are happening and if I'm doing enough or if I'm not doing enough. So his quote, Nelson Mandela's quote is, we can make the world a better place. It's in our hands to make a difference. So come to a comfortable seated position. And this could be at a chair. I use my couch. It could be on the floor, sitting on a pillow. And just relax your hands, maybe bringing them to the tops of your legs. Lower your gaze or close the eyes. And start to bring your attention to your breath. Noticing the gentle rise of the belly as you inhale, and how the belly starts to contract on the exhale. focus on each word it doesn't need to be quick it doesn't need to be slow so other thoughts can come in and hang out I can make the world a better place it's in my hands to make a difference I can make the world a better place. It's in our hands to make a difference. I can make the world a better place. It's in my hands to make a difference. And if your mind starts wandering, gently bring it back to this phrase, We can make the world a better place. It's in our hands to make a difference. We can make the world a better place. It's in our hands to make a difference. We can make the world a better place. It's in our hands to make a difference. You're welcome to stay here in this meditation for as long as you'd like, or gently blink open your eyes and just take a breath in and a breath out. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of But for Stretch. Please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions forward to the next few episodes and hope to hear from you soon have a great day